How can it be? How can it be? Right? Let's uh, continue our time together and uh, pray together as we look to God's Word. Oh, Lord, indeed, how can it be? How can it be that you would love us to become one of us? How can it be that you would come to rescue us, to die for us, to give us new life? How can it be that you have been pleased to call us together this morning as this local assembly to worship you, to hear from you, to encourage one another, to break bread together, to pray together? And now we ask that as we turn our attention to your word, that you would be pleased to open the eyes of our hearts to see new things about you from that word. May we see a familiar passage in an unfamiliar way. May we get to know you better. May we be strengthened in our faith and in our daily walk with you. May we be given the tools to live wisely in this crazy world. We come to you as those who are weak, desiring to know your power at work in us. And so we commit ourselves to you for this time that our hearts would be open to what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's the time for New Year's resolutions, so I'm not going to ask for a show of hands unless you want to. So how many of a New Year's resolution to read the Bible more in 2020, right? I, yeah. Like I said, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm guessing there are a lot of us out there that would like to, to do something like that. We're going to come back to that a little bit later in the, in the message uh, we're going to be looking today again at Luke 2, verses 21 to 40. I invite you to turn there, uh, Luke 2, verses 21 to 40. We looked at this passage last week, uh, and as we did so, uh, we focused on the fact that Jesus began to fulfill the entire law of God on our behalf, even in His infancy, in His, his circumcision, His mother's purification, his presentation to God were all done according to the law of the Lord. And we saw that Jesus did not do away with the requirements to fully obey the law of God. Rather, he completely fulfilled that requirement for us. And for those who believe in him, he is at work in us to fulfill that law within us as we learn to live life in close connection to him. That's part of what it means that Christ is in us. We have the life of Christ in us in us, working out His righteousness. We're going to look at this passage again uh, today, uh, looking at a different slant, and then we're going to come back to it again next week. Uh, next week, we're going to honor Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, the representative from Amnion will be here next week, and we're going to look at this passage again as to what it has to say to us about this Sanctity of Human Life. But for now, uh, last week was twas the week after Christmas. The story started in verse 21, a week after Jesus was born. Uh, we're going to pick it up now. Twas the month after Christmas. Uh, it is now 40 days after Jesus' birth, and his mother and father are in the temple. There's a lot going on here. Uh, and while in the temple, they meet two older individuals, two senior citizens of the faith, Simeon and Anna. And so we're going to focus on Simeon and Anna uh, today in our uh, journey through these verses. But I'd like to read this passage for us again. And so if you would uh, follow along, uh, let us uh, read, starting at verse 21. 
And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Amen. So... Mary and Joseph are in the temple with Jesus, performing things according to the law, and then things take a very unusual turn uh, for these two parents who were doing uh, merely what was required of them. Uh, we see two individuals, Simeon and Anna, and we'll look at them in turn. So Simeon, presumably an older man, as we'll see later, there are four things mentioned about Simeon here. If you look in verse uh, 25, it says he was righteous. He was in right relationship with God by faith in God. He was devout. He was devoted to God. He was reverencing God in his life. I liked one definition of this. He was taking hold of God well. I was really challenged by that. Do I take hold of God well? He was also waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel, Particularly in Isaiah, Isaiah refers to the comfort that God promises to his people Israel, and we know that to be God's promised Savior. So Simeon had been waiting for years, presumably all of his years, for this comfort of Israel to come. And then it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. But what does that mean? It means that he was being led by God's presence in his life because of his faith in God, because of his being devoted to God, because of his waiting for what God was doing, the Spirit was upon him to lead him and guide him. And it says that it, it was revealed to him that he would not see death until he had seen the Messiah, until he had seen the Christ, until he had seen the Savior. Now, we don't know how that was revealed to him. Was it a dream? 
Was it an inward impression? Was it a prophecy by someone outside him? We don't know, but it says it, it was revealed that he would not die until he had seen the Christ. And it also says that on this particular day that he came in the Spirit into the temple. He was led by the Spirit of God to be in the, in the temple at the exact time that Mary and Joseph were there with Jesus. Again, we don't know exactly how he was led there. As I was thinking this through, one scenario went through my mind is Mrs. Simeon is looking at Simeon and says, where are you going, Simeon? Well, I'm going to the temple. Why? You never go to the temple on Tuesdays. I don't know. I just feel I need to be there today. I should see you after lunch. Some would see Simeon's arrival at the temple at the very moment that Mary and Joseph are there with Jesus as coincidence, but I love the definition of coincidence I heard one time. Coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. Coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. In any event, God made sure that Simeon was in the temple at the exact moment that Mary and Joseph were there with Jesus. And as Simeon meets Jesus, again, the Spirit reveals to him that this is the long-awaited Savior. This is the comfort of Israel, the consolation of Israel that you have been waiting for. And Simeon has two responses as he meets the infant Jesus and scoops him up in his arms. I can just see him walking up to mother and just taking uh, Jesus out of her arms. If this was a movie, I think at this point the, the music would be grand and glorious. It would be swelling. It would be inspiring because Simeon's first response is that of celebration. If you look at that in verse 29, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He was celebrating what God had done for him in particular. I can now depart in peace, meaning I can now die in peace. I can now die in peace. God has allowed me to see his Savior. But he was also celebrating what God was doing for all the people, not just for him in particular, but for all the people. Look in verse 31. For you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He's saying that this Savior is for all people, for Jew and for Gentile. For those of us who don't know, the, the, the term, the name Jew, refers to all of those who are descended from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. So oftentimes you'll see this in the Old Testament as you're reading, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because that is the God that we serve, that is the God who has called Abraham, and we'll look at that a little bit later, has called Abraham to be his own, to be a nation for him, himself, and everyone descended from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob we know as Jews, as the people of Israel, as the nation of Israel. Everybody else, like most of us in this room, are Gentile. We are not physically descended from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. Before we move on from to Simeon's second response, I wanted to stop here for a point of application for us. Simeon says, I can now depart in peace. I'd like to ask us that question. Can you say that you can depart in peace? Can you say that you could die in peace? If you have met Jesus and trusted him as the Savior, you can. 
Just as Simeon said, and we can celebrate with Simeon, that's what we celebrated this morning at the Lord's table. If you have not met Jesus and you have not trusted him as your Savior, you cannot say that you can depart in peace. Consider this your invitation to trust him as your Savior, because that is the invitation he extends to us today, so that you would be able to say with Simeon, now I can depart in peace. Well, his first response was celebration. When we look down in verse 34, we see that his second response is preparation. Again, if this was a movie, I think the music would now turn to be somber and profoundly serious, perhaps in a minor key. Because if you look at verse 34, Simeon blessed them, Mary and Joseph, and then directs his attention to Mary. He directs his attention specifically to Mary. He said to Mary, his mother... Through Simeon, God prepares Mary for what is to come. We don't know why he doesn't address Joseph. There is certainly a suggestion that uh, Joseph may have died by the time Jesus uh, was an adult and had had, uh, come into his ministry. But for whatever reason, Simeon looks Mary in the eye and addresses her completely, specifically. And how many of us are given such a picture of what our newborns are going to be when they grow up? and what it'll be for us as parents. So Simeon tells Mary directly what to expect from this infant that she is now carrying. And he basically outlines four specific things about who this infant will become. Number one, he says in verse 34, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Wow, appointed for the fall and rise of many. Basically, every person's eternal destiny will fall or rise on their attitude or belief about Jesus. Every person's eternal destiny will fall or rise on their attitude and belief about Jesus. Well, what about the fall? Well, those who reject Jesus as Savior, that is the ultimate expression of pride. It is saying, I don't need God. I don't need rescue. I don't need a Savior. Those who in pride reject Jesus as their Savior will fall. They will be brought down. They will die to face eternal separation from God in hell. What about those who rise? Those who rise are those who are in humility, accept Jesus as their Savior. They will be raised from sin and from death to know God now and to live with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Those who are prideful will fall. Those who humble themselves before God will be raised. This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many. That sounds good enough. And then he says, he will be for a sign that is opposed, a sign that is spoken against, a sign that is refused, a sign that is contradicted. And we see Jesus' ministry marked by that as an adult, that people spoke against him. They refused to know him, to listen to him. They contradicted what he had to say. But have you ever sought a sign from God to know what to do? Have you ever said that, God, if you would just give me a sign, just let me know what I should do? Well, Jesus is God's sign to us. Jesus is God's sign to us about who God is and how to know him. Paul says in Philippians 1.28 that rejection of Jesus, Paul says, is a sign of the destruction of those who reject. If you reject him, that's a sign of the coming destruction. 
And then Paul goes on to say that acceptance of Jesus is the sign of salvation, the sign of rescue to those who believe. So Jesus is a sign to be opposed. No one can ultimately be neutral about Jesus. No one can ultimately be neutral about Jesus. Jesus will ultimately either be accepted, he will be embraced, or he will be rejected. There is no neutral ground. He will never be tolerated, patronized, or marginalized. You may say, Jesus may be for somebody else, but I'm okay. Jesus will not allow that. If you do not accept him, you have rejected him. He will never be tolerated, patronized, or marginalized. I know this may sound a little harsh, but it's said with the same desire that a doctor has when delivering the difficult news of a bad diagnosis. It's done so you have a chance to do something about it while there's still time. If you are on Jesus' side, you are on the right side of history and eternity. If you are not on Jesus' side, you are on the wrong side of history and will one day be left out of God's eternal kingdom. Simeon tells Mary that Jesus will be a sign to be opposed. Every one of us will have to make a decision about what we will do with this man, Jesus Christ. Then he goes on in verse 35. We're going to skip the parenthesis there. He says, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. We find when Jesus comes later as an adult in his ministry, he showed he was not concerned about a person's behavior. He was not concerned about behavior, but the content of our hearts. Jesus' words and actions actions frequently serve to reveal the true content of a person's heart. And so when people come to Jesus, the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Jesus drives to the core of our being to reveal what's really in our hearts. We're going to come back to this later towards the end as we come to an application. Uh, But it's important for us to realize that God is not so much concerned about our behavior as he is concerned about our hearts, because it is our hearts that determine our behavior. If our hearts are right, our behavior is right, our thoughts are right, our actions are right, God desires that our hearts be right with him. Now we come back to that parenthesis. This is just what every mother of a newborn wants to hear, right? This baby is going to cause you great pain. This child is going to cause you great pain. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. There's a park across the street from our house, uh, which uh, lots of young parents bring their little children over, and Laurel and I sometimes watch them, and we toy with the idea of marching over there and say, you th- you're having fun now. Wait till these kids get older. They're going to break your hearts. But I, I just... Don't think that probably would be very effective uh, to do that. So uh, we don't do that. <laughs> but that's what Simeon does for Mary. He says, This child will be one that causes a sword to pierce through your own soul. He says, You, Mary, will have to face the same destiny-determining decisions that everyone else will face. You're going to face confusion about who this Jesus really is and what he's doing. You're going to be convicted of your own sin and of your need for 
forgiveness. You're going to struggle with the repentance that is needed to come to him. And you may well be persecuted for identifying with him. The sword is going to pierce your own soul. But just as bad, he says, but you, Mary, will also have the mother's deep pain of witnessing the rejection, suffering, and execution of your son. Any parent who's ever lost a child knows the pain of that knows the pain of seeing the suffering and loss of your own child. And Simeon tells Mary that she is going to suffer that deep pain of witnessing the rejection, suffering, and execution of her son. We see in John 19 that she is at the foot of the cross as Jesus is being crucified. I can't even imagine the pain of a mother's heart that comes with that. A sword will pierce through your own soul. Well, now we turn to Anna, verse 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. Here is a life that at one level is very tragic. I don't know how many of us, how many of us have been married uh, five years or less, 10 years or less, eh, not 15 years or less. All right, so we have some, some young uh, married couples. Anna was married seven years seven years before her husband died. And then it says she lived as a widow till age 84, probably for 60 years or so, she lived as a widow. Just imagine you young couples, husband or wife dying after just these few years. But we read here that Anna used the years of her widowhood in worshiping God, in serving God. As I reflected on that what does it mean that she worshiped God? She was living as if God was worth everything she is and she has. This is where we should be living, right? We should be living as if God is worth everything she is and everything she has because he is indeed worth those things. And there were two things that she was doing. She was seeking him. It says that she, was, she spent her time in fasting and prayer night and day. She was seeking God. She was seeking to know him, to submit to him, to to reverence him, to honor him, to know his word. She was seeking him for those 60 years. But she was not just seeking, she was also speaking. She was speaking to others. Because as you see, she was a prophetess. A prophetess is one through whom God speaks to others. A person, one through whom God speaks to others. So not only was she seeking God and fasting and prayer, she was speaking to others as a prophetess. And what did she do when she, like Simeon, recognized that this baby was God's promised Savior? She too celebrated. In verse 38, it says, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. She too was right there at that very hour. She came up at that very moment that Simeon was holding this baby and Mary and Joseph were there. She came up, again, coincidence, coincidences when God chooses to remain anonymous. God honored her her commitment to him by allowing her to see this child who was the Savior of Israel, the Savior that she had been waiting for. She gave thanks to God. She celebrated. Then what else did she do? She proclaimed. She, look what it says there. She spoke of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She had been talking to people in the temple. She had been interacting with them And she comes to them now and says, listen, here he is. Here is the Savior. He has arrived. The Messiah has come as the prophets have promised us, as God has promised. He is here. He is here. She proclaimed to all who would listen. 
Well, let's step back and say, now what is God doing in all of this? Anytime you're studying or reading the Bible, it's a good question to ask first is, what is God doing? We often look at what the people are doing, but we need to back up when we're done asking what the people are doing to say, what is God doing? Well, God is doing many things here, but there are two things that struck me. First of all, God is working cosmically. He is working over the universe, over periods of time. God is working over centuries to address the great issues of evil and eternity. God tells Eve in Genesis of a descendant of hers who would crush the serpent's head. He promises Abraham to make him a great nation in whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. He tells Moses of a coming prophet, tells Samuel of a coming priest, tells David of a coming king, and tells the prophets of a child who is born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, who would be the suffering servant who would die for our sins. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these and more. Jesus is the focal point of all of history. He is the one to whom all of history is moving. Jesus and Jesus alone in all of history lived a perfectly sinless life. Jesus is the one who died on the cross to take away our shame and our guilt. Jesus is the one who rose from the dead, defeating death once and for all. A person's eternal destiny, as we've already seen, will be determined by their acceptance or rejection of Jesus as the one and only Savior of the world. And Jesus is the one who is at work in us who believe to transform us to look like him. Jesus will be opposed and rejected by many, as will those who are his followers. In our country, we have lived in relative luxury related to this. But as we see what's happening in the public square around us, we see that Jesus and the Bible and the teaching of God and the followers of Jesus Christ are increasingly being opposed and rejected and marginalized. That's what Jesus, that's what his life was, and those of us who follow him can expect nothing different. But we have to understand that God is moving history to its final conclusion in Jesus Christ. God is moving history to its final conclusion in Jesus Christ. History is not a random series of events that are out of our control. They may be out of our control, but they're not out of God's control. He is moving history to its final conclusion in Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back to establish the new heavens and new earth where all enemies, including death, are finally and fully defeated, where Jesus Christ rules forever, where everything is just as it should be, every wrong is righted and every just injustice is addressed. God is working cosmically to move history to that final conclusion in Jesus Christ. But what perhaps is even more amazing is that God is working intimately and personally with each of these specific individuals, each according to who they are and how God is fitting them into his eternal plan. And I think it's very touching, and we'll look at this again next week. Anna was 84 years old. Simeon was presumably an elderly man as well because he's, he was ready, he had lived his life and said, now I can depart in peace. And God was taking these two obscure individuals and weaving them into his eternal plan, fitting them into his eternal plan. So what does all of this have to do with you and me 
after 12 o'clock today, when the holidays are over, when Monday comes, when our day falls apart, when life falls apart, when you, like me, worry if your life was really worth it, when you're overcome by fear, guilt, shame, regret, you're challenged by sickness, death, you're enticed to pursue things other than God, you have uncertainty about what is next, don't you wish you had a Simeon or an Anna to give you perspective, to tell you what was coming next? But we have something far better than a Simeon or an Anna. We have this. We have the Bible. It is here in the Bible that we find the elements of God's eternal plan from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to the new creation, from the Garden of Eden to the New Jerusalem. But it's also in the Bible where we see God working in each of us individually, individually. I'd like to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Remember I said we were going to come back to this idea that uh, through Jesus the hearts of many would be revealed. And I'd like to just focus on that a little bit as we close. Hebrews 4. A very interesting passage, starting at verse 12. The writer says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of, whom, of him to whom we must give account. This Bible we hold in our hands is not just any other book. The writer here says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. I wish I could show you a picture of, of the bone marrow and how intricately entwined it is with the bone. What the writer is saying is that God is able to divide our lives down to the deepest depths of our hearts and to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. The Bible is what does that. It reveals, it exposes the thoughts and intentions of our heart. But then in verse 13, it's a continuation of the thought, but it's no longer the Word of God as a book. He says that no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. God knows what's in our hearts. I don't know what's in your heart. You don't know what's in mine, except when it pops out through what I say or what I do. But God knows everything. God knows the good and the bad and the ugly. He knows what's in there. And I should say he loves us anyway. But there's nothing hidden from him. There's nothing hidden from him. And it's the written word of God that's able to discern and to reveal and to expose the thoughts of and intentions of our hearts. And it's the living word, Jesus Christ, who is able to expose the inward intentions and thoughts of our hearts. So notice the connection here between the written word and the living word. They work intricately together. And Paul says in another place that the word of God does its work in us who believe. 
It does its work in us who believe. So when we talked to, when Simeon talked to Mary about this child through whom the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, it's through the word of God that God uses to reveal our hearts to us so that we can come to him to be changed. And it's the living word of God, Jesus Christ, that makes that possible as he dwells in us. So, as you read the Bible this year, I, as I said, I'm assuming that many of us have New Year's resolution to read more or read differently. As you read the Bible this year, do so with a recognition that there is a personal aspect to that and a corporate aspect to that. In the personal aspect, as you read, ask God to show you more of who He is and show you more of His eternal plan. Ask Him to show you more of yourself and who He wants you to be. And then ask Him to change you because this Word will expose you. If you read it honestly, this Word will expose you for who you are. And then ask God to change you. You might even want to try writing down something that God shows you as you read. But there's also a corporate aspect to reading our Bibles. If I told you there was a place you could go where someone would tell you what you need to know about God, someone would tell you what you need to know about your life and about where this world was going, wouldn't you want to be there? If I said at 6 o'clock in the morning at this place you can go and you can find all of these things out, wouldn't you want to be there? Well, that's what our meetings here on Sunday mornings are about. That's what they are to be. May I encourage you to take full advantage of those opportunities as we meet to read and study the Bible together, not so that we can be smarter, but that we can know God better, that we can have our own hearts revealed, that together we can come together and pray for one another and encourage one another as we strive to be the people that God would have us to be by His grace. That's why we come together. So may God bless us in 2020. He has remarkably chosen to include you and me at Grace Chapel in Havertown in 2020 in his great eternal plan. He is at work in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our world to accomplish his grand eternal purposes. And God is intricately weaving the stories of our individual lives into the fabric of his larger story. Our destinies are fully linked with Jesus and what he is doing in history. And all will end exactly how and when he wants it to end for his eternal glory and for our eternal good. So as we leave, I hope we can leave with some of the lessons that Simeon and Anna taught us today, that God is working at this cosmic level to accomplish all of his grand eternal purposes that will never, ever fail but he's also working in each of us as individuals, intimately and personally weaving us into that larger story so that when it's all done, we're going to see what our place has been in that grand story of salvation and redemption and recreation that God is working through history as he looks to fulfill everything in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's close this time in prayer. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for this passage today where we see Jesus coming as an infant 
was the culmination and continuation of your great plan of redemption for this fallen creation of which we are a part. Thank you for opening our eyes to see who Jesus is and for allowing us to trust him as our Savior. Thank you for weaving our lives intricately into the fabric of your larger purposes that you are accomplishing from eternity to eternity. As we leave this place this afternoon, may we do so with the great blessed assurance that we are your children, that you have come for us, purchased us, washed us, and will one day come back for us. May we live our daily lives in praise of the fact that our story is bound up in your story and that you will see all of us safely through to the end for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen.